Well, we're going to start over in 2 Kings. 2 Kings, when we get over there, we'll start over in chapter 2. Larry King was not, was not hosting a talk show, but he was a guest on a talk show, and the host was not paying very close attention to Larry King's answers. They just kept focusing on the questions that they were asking. And they'd fire off one question and Larry would answer it. And then they'd be kind of rummaging on through, figuring out what they're going to say next. And uh, after a while, Larry began to notice that they weren't really paying any attention to his answers. And so they asked the question, So what's the secret of being a good talk show host? So King had some fun with this one. He said, Something to the effect of, well, my secret is that I am a secret agent for the CIA. They pay for the guest and pay me to send out secret messages over the air each night. The host was fiddling with her notes and stuffed and stuff and didn't even notice what he had said. She just went on right off to the next question. What's the secret of getting great speakers? While all the staff and everyone on hand, the cameramen and so forth, they were all having a good time just laughing at, at this host. Well, sometimes, you know, the Holy Spirit can be speaking to us and we're just not hearing. We're just not listening. We're not paying attention. We've got to get ourselves to where we are paying attention to the things of what God says and know when it's His voice. Last time we looked at setbacks, spiritual setbacks, that usually setbacks are from our wrong response to something simple. Usually the response is generated from a buildup of emotions, not a reaction to a single event, though a single event will usually cause it. But we are called to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh or by the soul. And we spent some time looking at the difference between responding from the soul and responding from the Spirit. And the differences that we're in, in with that. The too often we, re- we think the things that come in the soulless realm are the things that come in the spirit realm. But today we're going to look at, first off, some miracles. Because you're following after the Spirit of God, there ought to be some miracles that go on. Some things seem like people in the Old Testament, New Testament, had miracles going on. In uh, 2 Kings, we look before at Elijah. We'll look at Elisha this time. In 2 Kings chapter 2, if you want to turn over there if you haven't already, or you can just look up on the, on the screen. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of this city. Is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word which Elisha spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel. Oh, we don't need to go on to the rest of that. Where did... Elisha come up with the idea of throwing a bowl of salt into the source of the water to get it to be healed. I imagine the Holy Spirit had to say something to him about that. Because he says in verse 21, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So apparently the Lord, got, Lord spoke to him and said, If you'll take salt, throw it in at the, uh, into the, where the source of the water is, waters will be healed. And so he did that. But that's something that the Lord God, Lord God spoke to him. Came to him down in the Spirit. And he went out there and did it. It's not something he came up with on his own. If you turn over to chapter 4, verse 1. A certain woman 
of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, The maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels do not gather just a few. When you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her, and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, This There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. So he asked her, What did you have in your house? Well, how would he know to ask that? That God would have a miracle from that. But down in his spirit, didn't something come up? Something came up and said, ask her what's in the house. And so he did. Elisha did that. Ask what's in the house. And it go, and he had the way outlined. As soon as she told him what was in the house, or else even before that, God said, this is what you're going to do. Those things are going to be full. And, and this woman, she doesn't do anything without asking. But she doesn't question when she gets an answer, which is really interesting. I mean, if someone told you to go in that house and fill these things with oil and you don't have any, it might be a little tough for you, wouldn't it? And if they said to you, go out there and find all the barrels you can, every vessel that you can get. How many of us would just look in the basement, in the attic, find a few things, gather them around? But she went over to all the neighbors, got everything that she could. So what she got past the need was hers to live off of. So if she had just gotten enough barrels and vessels to take care of the need, that's all she would have had. But she kept on going. Then after she got all the oil, she didn't just assume what to do. She came on back to the man of God. All right, I did it. Oil stopped. As soon as we ran out of vessels, now what do we do? And he went and told her what to do. Well, that came up in his spirit too. Chapter 8, or uh, verse 8, chapter 4. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And he said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. Let us put a bed for him there in a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whatever, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Now, we don't know that she heard this from the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God said, Build this thing. But somehow she got the idea. But either it came from her spirit or it just came as a good idea to bless the man of God. And either way, it seemed like it was okay. And so they went on and they did this and, and Elisha wants to repay the kindness. And so he asks what she, what she needs. And they find out that all she wants is the son. So he comes to her and says, by this time, you know, all that sort of thing, that you'll have a child. Well, in verse 27, we're going to get back to, but after a while, this, this son had some trouble and the son died. And she responds, I love the way that she responds. Actually, let's, go, let's take a look at some of those verses. Verse 18, And the child grew. We're going to go 18 to about 27. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went and laid him up in the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. She didn't put him in his own bed. She put him in the man of God's bed. 
Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, Oh, my son died. (laughs) Oh, this calamity that's come upon us. Nope, she said, It is well. She responded out of her soul or her spirit. Then she sat on a donkey. How many of you women want to be, would be doing that? <laughs> you, can, you can probably understand what she's going through a little more than us men can. I'm sure men, we, you know, we have an attachment too, but it's just different. Then she sat on a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. She's determined to get there. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run to her to meet her now. And say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? So immediately he's concerned because he sees her. This isn't normal. Something must be wrong. And she answered, It is well. Well, that seems odd. She's coming to the man of God about the problem. And she sees the, uh, the servant of the man of God. And all that she says to him is, it is well. She doesn't want apparently to declare anything to anyone but him. This is it. I mean, sometimes it's just good to keep your mouth shut. Just don't say stuff to people. It's sometimes better. And, and she did that. She's not going to tell, she's determined not to tell a soul anything that's going on. Right now, folks, as far as we know, the husband has no idea what's going on. Because she didn't put him in his bed. She put him in a man of God's bed. He's probably not even thinking to look for her there, for him there. He doesn't see him in the house. He probably thinks he's out somewhere doing something. And so it was. When the man of God saw her afar off, well, we already did that one. Please run to meet her now. Oh, verse 27. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near it and pushed her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone. I love this part of the verse. For her soul is in deep distress. Even though she didn't open her mouth about it, he could tell her soul was in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Now that tells us that Elijah expects to know when something bad's going on. He doesn't expect to have to be told about things. So he expects to hear this from the Spirit of God. That's a well-tuned spirit. And this is in the Old Testament. How much better should it be in the New? <laughs> Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me, and has not told me. So she said, Did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? And then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of the of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. So apparently Elisha expected that if we took this staff and laid it on his face, that something would happen. And that didn't come about, did it? But Elisha is not deterred. And Elisha came into the house where was the child laying dead on the bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them 
and prayed to the Lord. Look at that verse, verse 32 again. When Elisha came into the house, there was a child laying dead on his bed. He went in there. He went in there for shut the door behind the two of them. How many are in the room? But if you have a dead child and one person in the room, how many are in the room? There's only one in the room. But it says two of them. Where we leave off at? 34. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out in the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up, stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Now this is intriguing, because we're never told what the Lord tells Elisha. But in the New Testament, we see that there's a practice of taking cloths from certain people with anointing and putting that on the people, then the disease would go and the demons would go. And here we have Elisha doing this before that was even done. He took his staff and he said, lay it on the, on the child because the anointing was on him. He used his staff all the time. Go ahead and lay that on him. I think Elisha fully expected the anointing that was in the staff to be enough to get him up. When that didn't happen, he decided to lay it directly on him. And he got warm, but that was it. So he walked around the house, and what do you think he's talking to? And he goes and does it again. He's not leaving here until this thing's done. So he's listening in his spirit as to what to do. Now, up to this point, how many people have been raised from the dead? Elijah, I believe Elijah raised up one. But there wasn't, uh, wasn't a whole lot of this going on. New Testament again became a lot more common, but not a whole lot going on in the Old. So he goes ahead and he does this. He has to hear from his spirit. You want to hear, you want to move into new ground, you got to hear from your spirit. Aren't too many people that healed waters up till then. Now it had been done, but just not too many times. Moses healed some waters, took some bitter waters and then made them better. But it hasn't been done all that many times. You got to hear from God. You better make sure you're not hearing from your soul. If you hear from your soul, it may not produce the results that you exactly want. Probably won't. Verse 38. And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to the servants, Put on, large, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew there though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, Then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Now apparently when there's famine in the land, you'll pretty much eat just about anything. So they're just out there gathering stuff and but I'm sure that you won't gather up anything that was poison and put it in there if you knew it was. But apparently, one of these guys wasn't outdoors a whole lot, wasn't a very outdoors person, didn't know that this particular gourd wasn't very good, and put it in there. But apparently, somebody eating it must have recognized the taste or recognized the shape or somehow recognized that something inside here wasn't right. And so they began to mention it. And, uh, and they knew that this would kill you, whatever this thing was. Now, <laughs> now you see this... and. Elisha says, well, what do we do? 
Well, if you were Elisha, how many of you were just trying to take care of the problem? That anybody who ate it didn't die. But he doesn't stop. He doesn't just do that. He goes on to, to take care of the whole pot so that everybody can eat. Because again, there's famine in the land. we got food. we got to make sure it's good. And up in his spirit comes, put flour in it. Now, how many of you think that would uh, do anything? Put some flour in there. That's going to take care of uh, whatever poison is. And if you're one of the sons of the prophets who's supposed to be eating this thing, and you see Elisha, and he gets the word from God, put some flour in it. How many of you are thinking, mm mm? Uh-uh, I'm going to go back over to the New Testament over there. At least we, we have uh, Scripture. What do you mean put some flour in it? Well, that's what comes up in his spirit. Again, he's got to be pretty confident about this. And so what was poison was, was no longer poison. Well, let's move on. Let's go on to verse 42. Then a man came from Baal, Shalisha, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley bread, newly ripened grain in his knapsack, and he said, Give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, What? Shall I set this before one hundred men? He said again, Give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. And so he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Well, this sounds similar to something that's going on in the New Testament, doesn't it? Here's Elisha doing it there. But look at what he says in verse 42. He said again, Give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. So apparently Elisha knew that this little bit was coming for this great number of people. And he says, You go ahead and give it to them. Because not only will they all be full, but there will be some left over. So he just does it. Elisha knows just to do it. It came up in his spirit. You have this come up in your soul and it won't work. You know, somebody gets out there and they get the notion, they read about this, and it's cold outside, and it's snowing, they don't feel like going out to the grocery store. They say, well, I think I'll just take this word for me. And the, and the food that we have, we're just going to, we'll, we'll eat and have some left over. Well, see, they generate that themselves. You're not going to get the same thing. In chapter 5, we're not going to read all of this. We all know the story pretty well. Naaman and his leprosy. And he comes to the man of God through a long course of events to be healed of leprosy. And the man of God, Elisha, says to him, go and wash in the river Jordan seven times. And he's upset at that. He doesn't want to wash in the river Jordan. He likes the rivers of Damascus a lot better. And he's mad and upset. And his servant said, if the man of God had told you to do something hard, you would have done it. He said, wash and be clean. How much more sense does that make? So finally he went out there and he did it. And he was clean. He was so grateful. We all know about the Gehazi's greed and how Gehazi got disqualified because of this and all the things that went on with that. But where did it come up? What scripture did he lean on to tell Naaman to go wash in the Jordan? And not only to go wash in the Jordan for leprosy, but to go wash seven times. And why is it that after this that everybody who has leprosy doesn't just go wash in the Jordan? Because this is the word that was given to provide a miracle for this instance. Elisha heard it. Elisha spoke it. And Naaman had to obey it. So when Elisha heard it and Elisha spoke it, Naaman obeyed it, we see the resulting miracle that came about. Well, in chapter 6, verse 1, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan that every man take a beam from there. Let us 
make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. And then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. Well, I guess these guys didn't have many tools of their own. So they went out and borrowed one. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there and he made the iron float. Therefore he said, Pick it up for yourselves. So he reached out his hand and took it. Now again you have the situation with Elijah where something happened and it's not that big a deal. It's just an axe head. I'm sure somebody could go out and buy one and take care of it that way. But whatever the reason was, they didn't have a whole lot of them around or it was borrowed and they just want to get it back to him. And so Elisha hears in the Spirit, take a stick, throw it in the, in the water. And the axe head will float. Now how many of you got that in your spirit would dismiss that as coming from your soul? Coming from your flesh? But he recognized this was coming from his spirit. He said, alright, let's do this. And they did it. Then he has to go tell them, you know, go pick it up. So they go and they pick it up. And the situation was taken care of. Well, you can go on about the blind Syrians that were captured. How the word of the Lord came to Elisha. The Syrians had come and surrounded the city. Basically, they were mad because Elisha kept getting things in his spirit about what they were doing. And they were upset at that. Well, he recognized what came in his spirit. And the Spirit of God just had... just like having video cameras all over the place. And the Spirit of God would say, they're over here. They're setting up a trap over here. Watch out over here. And kept warning the king of Israel. So the king of Israel kept avoiding all these traps. Syria was upset at it. So they came after Elisha. Wanted to surround the city. And Elisha's not upset. Apparently he seemed to know about this ahead of time. Must have come up in his spirit again. They're going to surround the city. This is what you do. Go out in the midst of them. And Elisha prayed, Father God, blind their eyes. He blinded their eyes and they didn't recognize it was him. Led them right into the city of Jerusalem without them knowing it. That's pretty good. I think that would be hard for most of us to get and follow through with. Then we get up to chapter 8. Verse 1. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go you and your household and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine. And furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. Now why does the Lord call for a famine? Is he tired of people having abundance? You know, my people have had an abundance for a lot of years. I'm kind of tired of them having an abundance. Let's see how they do with the, with the famine. That's just for fun. Let's just do it for a couple of years, see what happens. No, there was reasons for it. They were disobedient. They were worshiping idols. It will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. And then we know later on that when she leaves, that someone else is going to take over her house and she's going to get it back. We know that down the road. But she doesn't... When the man of God spoke to her, he, she just did it. She found some place that she could get to. Down over at verse 7. Then Elisha went to Damascus. And Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. And was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Hazael, Take a present in your hand. And go to meet the man of God. And inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Hazael went to meet him. And took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus. Forty camel loads and came and stood before him and said, Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? 
And Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Now, that's puzzling, but we'll figure that out here in a minute. He spoke truth. Doesn't sound like he spoke truth, but he did. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, Why is my Lord weeping? He said, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with a sword. And you will dash their children and rip open the women with children. So Hazael said, But what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me you would surely recover. But it happened on the next day that he took a cloth, thick cloth, and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died. And Hazael reigned in his place. Now, to everyone else, it would look like the word of the Lord failed. But Hazael knows the truth. Elisha said, you will recover from this disease. And apparently, if left alone, he would have recovered from the disease. But Elisha said, but the Lord has shown me that he, he will surely die. But he didn't say he would die of the disease. And so Elisha knew he saw into the spirit realm. And the Spirit of God saw, showed him that his recovery was stopped by Hazael killing him. And the things that Hazael would do to the people of Israel. This comes in his spirit. When it comes to his spirit, he speaks it out. And Hazael mulls over that. I'm going to be the king of Syria. I'm going to get rid of this guy. And I'm going to become the king of Syria. So he gets rid of him and he puts himself in a place to become king. Well, it seems with all these things that were going on that Elisha is pretty good at hearing the voice of God. It doesn't seem like he misses it much. He hears from God. Even this last one where it appeared to a lot of people that he missed it, we know that he didn't. That he heard from God. The Holy Spirit's voice is learned. It is a learned thing. It's not something you know all the time. The Word of God says in the New Testament, My sheep know my voice. Well, if you counted a sheep, when you had the little lambs, the little lambs don't know the sheep, the voice of the shepherd. But they know Mama. And they follow her. They follow Dad. And they uh, recognize that Mom and Dad follow this particular voice and they learn the voice of the shepherd. So after a while, they don't have to follow the shepherd by following Mom and Dad. They follow the shepherd by following the shepherd. That's the example that Jesus uses. That's the example we can certainly use for ourselves. You may learn the voice of God by following others who know the voice of God. And that's certainly fine. But eventually you should pick up and learn the voice yourself and begin to follow after Him. Well, over in Deuteronomy chapter 11, as you turn it over there, do understand this, as with any learning process, you have to be willing to do it wrong as well as do it right. If you are not willing to do this wrong, you will not learn the voice of God. There are a lot of Christians who are so set on the notion that because I'm a born-again believer, I hear from God. And they obey whatever it is that comes to their inside. And they can't discern whether it's soul or spirit. They follow after it. And when they've missed it, immature believers who will stay continually immature until they get out of this, 
do not recognize they made a mistake. And it's too hard for them to recognize they made a mistake. And somehow that mistake must be right. And they never learned the mistake was a mistake. And they never learned the voice of the Spirit of God. They never can tell the difference between their soul and their spirit. Because when they've made an error, when they've made a mistake, they can't recognize it as such. They're too prideful. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want others to think less of them. They can't just think, come up and say, you know what, I thought that was God, and it wasn't. Well, I'll learn from that. Learn the voice of God better. You have to be willing to make a mistake. I'm not telling you to go out there and make mistakes. But if, if something happens and you see that it's a mistake, then just say, yeah, I, I blew it on that one. I made a mistake. Don't be so full of pride. Don't be, have, to, have to be right all the time. I made a mistake on that one. That one did not work out well. Well, learn from that and go on. That's the way you want to be with it. But here in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. So he has two choices for them. The first way is the blessing. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. Not tomorrow. Today. See, when you obey the commands of the Lord, you obey commands of today or yesterday. Not tomorrow. That's important to understand. You receive the blessings when you obey the commands of God. You receive the curse when you go against the commands of God. So two things are set before us. Blessings if we obey. Cursing if we disobey. So let's keep that principle in mind and turn over to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge from whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish, on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to those who work, whose, who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So you can have indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish if you're self-seeking and do not obey the truth. Is do not obey, is not obeying the truth, is that the same thing as not obeying His commands? I would say that it is. So obeying the truth then would also be the same thing as obeying His commands. Are His commands not truth? Sure they are. So we can interchange those, those things. 
And Deuteronomy 11 could be saying about the same thing as what we're saying right here. These things, indignation, wrath, tribulation, anguish, would that not sound like a curse? Glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, would that not sound like a blessing? Sure sounds better than the other things that are, that are out there. So there is a blessing to those who obey the truth. There is a blessing to those who obey His commands. And there is cursing to those who do not obey His commands or to those who go against the truth. Over to Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. We should be dead to disobedience, but alive to obedience. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, of righteousness to God. We talked on Sunday about presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice over in Romans chapter 12. Here, he's saying, don't, don't present it the other way either. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not disobey the commands of God. Do not disobey the truth. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of the righteousness to God. So again, obey His commands. Obey His truth. Present your cells, present your bodies as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Well, why in the world would we follow after the direction that would bring cursing unless something had dominion over us to bring us there? If you knew that a certain way was going to bring cursing and another way was going to bring blessing, would you not follow after the way of blessing? Why would we follow after the way of cursing? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Got to get the full impact of this verse. To whom... You present yourselves slaves to obey. You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Blessing or cursing. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That form of what? Doctrine. Would that not be equivalent to truth, which is the commands of God? 
And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Just understand, that's what he, you become slaves to the thing, you're, you're, have the benefits of that thing. For just as you are presented your members of slaves of uncleanness and of un- lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Well, we have to understand the the concept here. If you follow after the way of obedience, there is blessing. If you follow after the way of disobedience, there is cursing. If you follow after the way of God's truth, there is blessing. If you do not follow after His way of truth, there is not blessing. If you do not follow after being a slave of righteousness, then you will become a slave of unrighteousness. If you follow after the way of unrighteousness, you become a slave of unrighteousness and you are in that household. So all the things that are of that household are are there. So we do all this, go through all these scriptures to compare two things. The first off, miracles. And the second part, blessings. And this is what we have in your outline for it. This is the action part. In order for the action to work, in order for the action to work, it must be inspired by the Holy Spirit and immediately obeyed. So before we had the people, Elisha came out and he told them, do this. And they did it and the action produced something. In the other verses, we have that if we have actions that walk in obedience to His command, blessing. If we have actions that walk in disobedience to His command, we have cursing. But there is a command, there is truth, there is something stated for which we either obey or disobey. We obey it, good things. Disobey it, bad things. But here's the difference. Faith in God's voice produces miracles. Faith in God's voice produces miracles. Faith in God's Word produces blessings. Faith in God's voice produces miracles. Faith Faith in God's Word produces blessings. Now, we've talked about this before. My pastor came out a number of years ago and was teaching about the difference between blessings and, 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 and miracles. We all went up and heard him teach on that. I think a number of you all came up with us. We got to hear him teach on the difference between that. He was up in this area. And certainly, he got finished with it. We all decided we liked blessings more than miracles. <laughs> because blessings were always just enough for the thing that was at hand. But bless, I'm sorry, miracles were just enough. But blessings were greater. Blessings were greater. So faith in God's voice produces miracles, but faith in God's Word produces blessings. It's good to have both. There are times you need both things in your life. There are times you need miracles, and there's times you need blessings. I think most times we need blessings. We need blessings more probably than miracles. But there still comes a time in your life when you're, you're going to need miracles. When you're going to need something to come up in that. And when that happens... The Spirit of God will speak to your spirit and will instruct you on what to do to get that miracle. Because generally, when you need something instant to overcome something in your life, you don't always have an exact Scripture to go back to. 
there is not always truth to obey or disobey. You're left kind of wondering. When an axe head gets thrown into the water, what scripture do you lean on? When the gourds get put in the stew. Now, we have scripture now, but they didn't have scripture then. When the boy dies and God doesn't tell you what's happened, what do you lean on? So see, if you need a miracle to go on in your life, then you've got to be listening to the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God speaks, you've got to, you've got to do it. And that's the other thing we didn't, didn't feel out for yet. Slow obedience is not faith. Slow obedience is not faith. Now go back through here. The bowl and the salt. How long did it take them to obey that? The empty vessels that were filled. How long did it take them to obey that? The son that was raised from the dead. How long did it take him to obey that? The poison stew, the hundred men to be fed. Naaman's leprosy, how long did it take? Now, Naaman took a little while. He's an unbeliever. God gave him a little bit of slack. He's an unbeliever. The axe head. Hazael, the word that came to him. Yeah, he went out there and did it the next day, but, but that's more than Elisha. He was not a believer and wasn't going to be brought on over, but, but Elisha, he spoke it. As soon as he heard it, he spoke it. He obeyed and he said what God said to say. God said, I mean, if you got the word of God that came up in your spirit, say to him, the king will recover. But I know that he will surely die. How many of you are saying, I'm not saying that. You tell me which way it's going to be. Either he's getting well or he's not. But don't tell me to say both. <laughs> How many of you are going to be arguing with God about that a little bit? But Elisha doesn't. He says it right away. In our life, folks, there's going to be times we need miracles. There's going to be times we need blessings. Most times we need blessings. But they're all going to require an action. They're all going to require some kind of action. Now, you can go to school and get an MBA and all sorts of stuff. And, but here, we're talking spiritually. We're going to go through God's boot camp. We've got to graduate with something. i got to understand the role of miracles, the role of blessings, and the role of action. Blessings require action. Miracles require action. Miracles will require action on the voice of God that He speaks to me at that moment. Blessings require me to obey the Word of God that He spoke and wrote down and that He's given me to obey. That He's told me to obey. Now, one place we can expand the area of blessing and that if God told me something yesterday, last month, weeks ago, years ago, my obedience to it is part of the blessing. Miracles are in an instant. Generally, you need a, when you need a miracle, you need it today. Maybe you can wait till tomorrow. But generally, miracles are a necessity. The axe head went away. They needed it then. The poison stew went on. Can they wait a week? Can they fast and pray and wait a week? The boy's dead. They have another day? Miracles generally need immediate action. And so the Spirit of God will speak to you about immediate action. You need to take that immediate action. Whether you like it or not. Whether you understand it totally or not. You've got to do it. But make sure that those things come to your spirit, not to your soul. Make sure that they are spoken to your spirit, not to your emotions. Because your emotions get in the way. For some, they get in the way more than others. But either way, they can still get in your way. Do not let them get in your way. You have emotions. It's not saying that you have to get rid of all your emotions. Certainly you don't. But you cannot let your emotions get in the way of you obeying God and doing what God says. 
you're going through a natural boot camp, they do all sorts of stuff to store up emotional responses from the men and women that go through that. You should just be men. Don't think men are dead to emotions because they put them through and they, get, they stirred up emotions. When it was all men in the army, they had men crying. They had men ready to give up. They had men exasperated. That was their goal. They wanted to stir you up and get you to the point where your emotions would not get in your way. That your emotions would not stop you from obeying. And that's what they had to do. That's what that boot camp was about. God's boot camp is different. But He needs to get your emotions out of the way. He needs to get you to the point where you... Well, uh, I don't like this. I don't like the way that sounds. I don't want to do that. He has to get you out of all that sort of stuff and get you to the place where when God says, do this, you will do it. If God does not say to do it, no matter how many people around you say you ought to, you don't do it. Everybody around you says, take that job, take that job. Spirit of God says, no! Don't do it. Or the other way around. Everybody around you saying, don't take that job. Don't take that job. That's no good. And the Spirit of God's inside saying, take it! You have to get out of the place where emotions rule you and emotions direct you. And Elisha sure had a lot of places where emotions could have been stirred up. How many of you could see your emotions get stirred up in some of these stories we read about? I'm not going to say that. People will think I'm stupid. Tell them to throw a piece of wood in the water. Axe head will float. Yeah, right. That thing's made of iron. That's not doing no floating. I've never seen iron float in my life. But he went out there and he spoke it out. That's what we got to do. Be ready to go out there and, and speak it out. He said in Romans chapter 6, Do not let sin reign. Do not let... That's on you. And do not present your members. That's on you. It's not on someone else. It's on you. Don't blame someone else for your emotional trauma. Don't blame someone else for your failure, for your decision to not obey. It's on you. That's why he's saying this. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. But to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves to obey. The more I obey the emotional response, the inkling, whatever it is, to disobey God's commands, I become enslaved to unrighteousness. Because of what I did, not what anyone else did. That is not a place to train your spirit. You will not train your spirit by disobeying the Word of God. Nor will you train your spirit by disobeying the, the voice of God that comes up. But we can learn on that. You're not going to jump in where Elisha is and start laying, stretching out on crossing dead people. You're not going to be taking a little bit of food and feeding a hundred people with it. Tell them all there's going to be more left over. It's not where you're going to start out. But he may tell you, go talk to that person. See that one over there? Go talk, talk, go talk to that one. Pray for that one. He may tell you that. That's the place to learn it, to grow it. Don't sit there and try and figure it all out. You've got to get to the place where you instantly, this is one of the things Brother Hagin used to drill, drill into our heads. Instantly obey, obey the voice of your spirit. Because your spirit's in contact with his spirit. Instantly obey that, obey that voice. Train it up right. And then when you do, instantly obey it. Don't, don't become sluggish. I believe he used to get on us for, for snooze alarms too. That's why I get on you all about it. Don't hit snooze alarms. 
Don't train yourself to be sluggish. If you want to get up at a certain time, get up. If you don't, then set it later. <laughs> don't, don't train yourself to be sluggish. If you don't need to get up at a certain time, then just let your spirit wake you up. But don't train yourself to be sluggish. That's a, that's a detriment to us. When the Spirit of God speaks, you find a way to instantly obey it. Well, alright, I'll obey that next week when I get back over there. Don't do it. Get in there and obey it as soon as you can. Find a way to get that obedience. Every time that you do, when you obey the voice of God on the inside of you, you are training yourself. You are in miracle training. When you obey the written Word of God, you are in blessing training. Training to receive the blessings of God. And every time that you, you do this, you obey one thing or the other. Either you are obeying the written Word of God or you are obeying the voice of God. And every time that you do, Father God, I'm in miracle training right now. You told me to go over here and stop and get gas. So I came over here and stopped and got gas. I'm in miracle training. You didn't do that out of obedience to the Word of God or His commands. You did it out of obedience to His voice. That's miracle training. So you get trained up like that, then when God says, take that one who's crippled, grab him by the hand and raise him up, like Peter did. You're in miracle training. How many of you, when Peter is over there praying for people, and God says, take that cloth, give him that cloth. What do you mean give him that cloth? What good is it going to do to take that apron? But the Spirit of God said it. How many of you are going to be, be out there? Actually, Paul was doing that. How many of you would be out there in Peter and say, line them up, I'm going to walk by them. My shadow will get them. <laughs> That's miracle training. There's no verse in Scripture on that. He had to obey the voice of God. When we're in boot camp, folks, there's miracle training and there's blessing training. I don't want to be trained up to receive His blessings. I want to be trained up to receive His miracles. You want to walk in His blessings? Do His commands. You want to walk in His miracles? Obey His voice. That's what will get us there. That's what gets us over the hump. Slow obedience is not faith. Be quick. Obey quickly. And do what He said to do. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the training that You have us in. And Father, You are training us for miracles. Not just miracles for our own selves, but miracles we bless others with. You are training us for, to receive blessings. Not just blessings for what we need, but blessings that we may bless others. Father, I thank You for it. We will obey Your voice. We will obey Your Word. Heed Your commands. Perform Your truth. Become slaves of righteousness, not unrighteousness. Knowing all the time that we do it, we are in miracle training, we are in blessing training. But help us to keep in mind, there's miracle training, there's blessing training. What is it that I'm in training for right now? Has God spoken to me? Has God reminded me of something in His Word? What am I in training for right now? For the blessings of God come to those who obey His commands. And miracles come to those who obey His voice. Father, we thank You for the things that You lead us into. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.